back to Hair Metal Memories. We are your hosts. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And a couple little housekeeping things uh, on our last episode because we're still new, new to this virus podcasting thing and the call-in factor. Um, we forgot to throw out our email address out there so you, pay, so you guys can uh, um, say hi to us and whatnot and tell us what you think of the podcast and uh, give us suggestions. It's uh, hairmetalmemoriesiowa at gmail.com. So please reach out to us. Tell us what you think, whether you liked it or not. Um, we also have, uh, we mentioned last time, I think we have a Patreon that we, uh, have started, um, where we're going to be offering bonus episodes and things, but, uh, with the, you know, the current, like staying at home and quarantining stuff, it's not particularly active at the moment. So we're just going to remind you of, of it now. And then in the future, it'll uh, be more of a big deal when we have a chance to work on it. Alrighty. Uh, today our album is... The 1988 classic Winger album. It's the debut album from Winger. Yes, I, this is actually kind of another one of the ones, if I remember right, that we had when we first started talking about doing this show. This was one of the, the first things we talked about. Yeah, I remember feeling sort of shy. Like I, I thought, like, why is he asking me about Winger and talking about Winger? If I say I like it, am I going to be not cool now? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're far enough into this. We're way past that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but now we're all on the same page. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a pretty fun album. I I, I really enjoyed going back and taking a listen to it. Um, it was produced by Bo Hill, who is kind of like the songwriting force. Um, he, he yeah, he had he had some presence on this record. Yeah, and he he did a lot of this stuff, and he he worked with uh, Alice Cooper and Kicks and Warrant and Europe and Rat. He did like the first, yeah, the first four Rat albums, I think. Yeah, he kind of hit the ground running. He came out and started producing albums, and they were all platinum sellers. So he was he ended up doing all sorts of stuff, you know, just Got right away. Pretty early and pretty often. <laughs> yeah, and kind of a fun little side story about Bo Hill is he was in a band called Spider that was produced by Bruce Fairbairn and engineered by Bob Rock, which are a couple familiar names uh, to people. I just listening to found that Hill. same little factoid and was like, "Hey, look at that! We both of those names are yeah. well going to come up pretty regularly in this uh, show." Yeah. Uh, yeah, at some point, maybe we'll have to do like a, a producer's edition of the podcast and just talk about like just dive down deep on a producer and just see what 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 impact they've had on hair metal. But uh, those oh, two that'd names, be great. Yeah, those two names definitely have come up before and probably will come up again. Um, and like I said, this this was a platinum album. I mean, so it continued Bo Hill's streak. Um, there is on the cover and it, it says Sahara. And, uh, and which seems sort of weird, but that was a, actually the, the original name of the band. Yep. And I, I think it was we got into another one of those things where there was a band who had already grabbed that name. So they uh, they relented and apparently they were then they decided they were going to call the album Sahara. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. Was the, And that's why those little characters on the bottom right hand corner of the album are, are still there, because they were going to go ahead and put in Sahara, but they didn't. The art department did not get that message. And so <laughs> it just ended up coming out the way it did. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, it, yeah, I'd never really noticed that before, but it's kind of like a little mystery in, in, in the hair metal yep. world. And, uh, and I read that uh, Alice Cooper is the one who suggested that they change their name to Winger from Sahara. So, you know, you know yeah. Cause uh, from what I read is uh, 
little little bit of uh, additional backstory is that the Kip and Paul Taylor met while in Alice's band. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, I guess Kip left the band before out before Paul did, and kind of started working on stuff and and managed to uh, they managed to uh, land a deal before Paul got back from a European tour with with Alice Cooper. Yeah. Which is, that's a, what a, what a great rock and roll story, you know? <laughs> right. And then after, like, after the winger sensation had happened, you know, and in, in the nineties hit, uh, Reb beach ended up playing for Alice Cooper. So, you know, three fourths yeah. of the main winger lineup has played in Alice Cooper's band. Yeah. And that's, that's a, a, some good foreshadowing uh, uh, from what I have of my notes for this record, because uh, there's a lot of like almost incestuous sort of relationships going on here with uh, yet like there's some names that pop up that tie all of these people together, which is, which is pretty oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and Alice Cooper is kind of becoming one of those guys that we talk about. We, we've mentioned before how like um, kiss and Ozzy end up getting like mentioned a lot. Like everybody played with them or auditioned with them or two with them or something um alice cooper is kind of in that same class oh yeah there is so many people who've uh, passed through his ranks up heck for even at one point in the 70s tony levin was in his band oh really and alice cooper yeah you know after after the original band had had ceased to be and alice cooper became a solo uh Project, uh, yeah, Tony Levin played on two records. That's cool as hell. I did not know that. I'm a huge Tony right? Levin so, fan, I mean, so I didn't, and I didn't know he played with. I mean, he's played. With he everybody. was basically one, two, three, four bass players before Kip Winger. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Weird connection so, there. <laughs> you know. And I remember. Well, and oh, there's there's so many of them because like, when looking up uh, uh, Kip and and Reb and uh, and Paul Taylor on the on the Alice Cooper musicians chart. Uh, I found a uh, Hugh McDonald on the list, which we mentioned in one of our previous episodes on slippery when wet, mm-hmm. which then when you realize that, you know, Hugh McDonald, who was the, uh, the session guy for Bon Jovi all those years was the guy who played bass on Alice Cooper's trash, which featured a whole bunch of backing vocals and co-writing from Bon Jovi people. So it's like, Oh, okay. Like yeah. these people like move in packs. <laughs> they, they seem to. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. The different movements that happen. So basically that moving in packs thing is kind of what gets us to having winger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's start with Kip, uh, whose full name is Charles Frederick Kip winger, (laughs) which is kind of a mouthful. Um, as he played bass and sang with Alice Cooper during the constrictor and raise your fist and yell sort of eras. Those, those two albums and tours. Um, I'd, I'd be interested in doing the constrictor album on this podcast at some point. I really liked that album a lot. Heck yeah. Yeah. Because uh, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, Constrictor has like my favorite Alice Cooper song on it. Oh, which one's that? Uh, the Man Behind the Mask. Oh, yeah. The, the Friday, one Friday that's the in 13th. the 13th. Friday the 13th. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great tune. Uh, Hell yeah. I was, uh, I ended up being really impressed with Kip Winger. Uh, uh, yeah, dude's got some pedigree, man. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I'm impressed with all of the band actually, but like Kip Winger, right. When I started reading about him, I was blown away because I, you know, I think of him as kind of like a pop star or, you know, you know, hair metal guy or whatever, but he started studying classical music when he was 16 and he wrote a letter to Alan Parsons 
and got a personal yep. surprise from a personal reply from Alan Parsons. And then later on, like 30 years later, he ended up singing with Alan Parsons on a live thing. And, and wasn't that like the first time Alan Parsons had ever performed live? I think it was. Yeah. And Kip Winger showed Alan Parsons the letter that he had sent him 30 years ago. So I was like, so that's kind of a, another cool rock story. That's pretty groovy <laughs> right there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he, uh, and, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, uh, the thing that tripped me out that I didn't know is that like, I mean, you always end up finding out that people have written songs here and there and everywhere, but I didn't know that he wrote a song for a kicks record. Yeah. That was his, that was his big, honestly, start. I don't know a super lot about kicks. Yeah. It was not one of the ones I listened to a lot, but yeah, huh. same. They're, they're kind of on our, 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 on one of our lists of uh, bands to get into at some point, but I have not honestly listened to much kicks either. But yeah, Kip Winger was waiting tables and uh, and trying to make a go of it in music, and he co-wrote a song uh, for Kicks, which is what led him to working with Bo Hill, and he began playing bass and singing on various like a bunch of records. He was just kind of a studio guy, and he met Reb Beach through Bo Hill on, on some yeah, sessions, yes. which is uh, which is what led to him and playing with Alice Cooper. And then he, and that was where he met Paul Taylor, like you said, who's the who's a keyboardist and guitarist. And uh, and after touring, then those th- those three started working with Rod Morgenstein. So it's like it's really. And they had they had a, they had a contract before they had the whole band put together. Yeah, which is really, I mean, it's just like it goes to show if you know people in the music business, you know your career. Damn, really, right? Yeah, I mean, it really <laughs> starts with knowing people, and then you can like, oh well, we got the contract. I guess we can start writing the music now. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Of course, that's also, you know, back in the 80s when labels and stuff like that would just like throw hordes of money at like all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. Of course, now the downside of that is that uh, basically Atlantic owns those first three winger records like forever. Yeah. I did some digging and I found found an interview with Kip Winger from like 2009 because they'd asked him why they weren't seeing any, you know, reissues of like the two you know, the first two albums, he's like, yeah, Atlantic owns those in perpetuity. There's literally nothing I can do about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Contracts used to be a little bit more hardcore back then, I think, or something. Uh, big time. Yeah, and that's yeah. why there's so many odd things you find don't getting or not getting reissued uh, uh, yeah. ever just because of you, you get a label who won't release the rights to a, to a record, but they also don't want to put any work in reissuing it or anything like that. So they just kind of languish. <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of a tangent here, but on the local level, uh, um, the Iowa band House of Large Sizes uh, had a major label album. And I remember talking to Dave Dibler about, you know, wh- whether the, he would either put that out or reissue it or something. And he said he can't. He said that uh, I think it's Columbia that has, mm-hmm. the, has the contract with it. Um, he said they own everything about that and they, they can't do anything with it which I, th- I thought was really interesting. It's like they have this whole record that they can never, you know, Columbia has no reason to put it out now or, or reissue nope. it. Um, nope. You know, it's, it's not going to make them nearly the kind of money, but like it would probably help these guys out if they could. But anyway, yeah. sorry. No, no, I understand. That story repeats itself through so many different right. bands, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, but it's just kind of a thing. But back to Kip Winger, he uh, he had a pretty decent solo career too, and he kept studying music, which I thought was pretty fascinating. He uh, you know he studied at uh, University of New Mexico, uh, you know, with a guy, and he moved to Nashville. He's composed um, symphonies and ballets, and had a number yep. one album on the classical charts that was nominated for a Grammy. I mean. 
<laughs> I, I actually pulled up because like one day before I even dug into the dug back into the Kip to the winger album, I actually looked up some of his some of his uh, pieces on YouTube and wow, it's like. Yeah, pretty it's, good. it's it's pretty crazy, and he and he's still working on a theatrical concept album about all the the dead females that Jack the Ripper killed, who who returned from the dead and have revenge on him. <laughs> so he's oh, like, that's cool. Yeah, so it's like really interesting that, that that this band. I'm sure you know it's probably what made him his money and all of that stuff. But like uh, um, the guy seems like a very curious guy, and he keeps like uh, working on new things and keeps studying just how to create music and compose it and you know understand string arrangements and things like that which uh i, I, I don't know i was pretty impressed by that um i i have to, i have to agree i mean you, you just being a kid and listening to it you don't really get the full picture of what's going on with the guy and when i started digging into him for this it's just like wow he he's all over the place and and, and very accomplished and yeah uh jackson uh made a kip winger signature bass so, oh wow! So, so he's had his own signature bass. Even uh, I, that surprised me too. And he was in a relationship with Rachel Hunter. Really? Yeah. Which is just uh, again, Rachel Hunter, of course, became uh, Rod Stewart's wife and was Stacy's mom in the video for Stacy's mom. So R.I.P. Oh my God! It Adam, just Adam, Adam Schlesinger. Yeah, it. Adam Schlesinger died just a week ago. So R.I.P. to him. Speaking of, you know from fountains of Wayne, you know, which made the song. Yeah. So, and, uh, Kipling is also recorded with Bob Dylan and Jordan Rudess of dream theater and liquid tension experiment, which had Tony. Levin and that it. doesn't surprise me at all because Rod Morgenstein has a long standing yeah. association with Jordan Rudess. So, I mean, you know, in the Dixie dregs. Yeah. And, uh, Stuart, Stuart Stevenson from, uh, Beavis and Butthead wore a winger shirt. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just watching some Beavis and Butthead last week and I, I sent Aaron a text telling him that's like we gotta do this winger one because it's a sign seeing seeing winger just pop up in a random place like that. Um I I read there was a story about that, how uh uh Beavis and Butthead heard that uh Kip Winger had said something about like, you know, I don't want them ripping on my my band and so they put that shirt on there on purpose on the show to make fun of them. Um but then later on he met Kip Winger and Kip Winger's like, No, oh, I never said that. I I like your show actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I heard about that. He ended up being like, no, it's fine. Yeah. I, it was a funny show. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, but I thought that was cool that he, uh, you know, he's he's played with some heavyweights there. I mean, you know, Alan Parsons, Bob Dylan, and, and I think Jordan Rudess is like, uh, you know, kind of a biggie. And, you know, he's he's played with, you know, the dregs and with Tony Levin and all that stuff. So we have, yeah. we have one degree of separation with from Kip Winger to King Crimson <laughs> and Peter Gabriel. Yeah, yes, there would be, wouldn't there? Oh man, the degrees of separation game would be a lot of fun with this band because yes, there is, <laughs> there is like, a, which means that you know that's the funny thing because it means that King Crimson is only a couple steps away from White Snake. That's right. <laughs> that's right. There is. There's like one degree of separation there too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, boom. There yeah. you go. <laughs> and, and speaking of White Snake, let's uh, let's talk about our buddy Reb Beach, who like uh, was an incredible guitar player. Uh, oh boy, that guy is good. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 still in Winger, um, but he also joined White Snake in 2002. Which and made, the craziest, yeah. And outside of uh, outside of David Coverdale, he's the longest running member of White Snake. Yeah, which is very weird. I, I thought that was a weird little factoid, but it, it you know fits the data. 
Um, I, I it, it hit me when I was sitting there I went, looking this stuff up and I saw the date that he joined the band and I was just like, hey, wait a minute. Like everybody cycles in and out of White Snake's band at like a furious pace. What's he yeah. doing right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he must really be kissing David Coverdale's ass. <laughs> I know. Good on you, Rev. Right on. That's steady work. You can get it, man. Yeah. Hey, all right. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's played with Alice Cooper. And uh, he replaced George Lynch in Dokken for one album. And it's it's not a Dokken album I'm familiar with at all. <laughs> yeah, same. I haven't heard it. I'm curious to check it out now, though, because I didn't know that he had played with Dokken. And uh, he, filled, he filled in with Night Ranger, replacing Jeff Watson for a tour. And he played in a – he did like a super group that I honestly hadn't – I remember actually – I think now that I think about it, I, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing like an announcement when it was first released, the super group he was going to do, The Mob – Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I read about the two with uh with Doug Pinnock from King's X. Exactly, and that's what makes it interesting because, dude. <laughs> yeah, I want to check that out now because I I, I love King's X. Uh, they're I'm in- all down. Yeah, I, I I'm very much King's X fan as well. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> if the, he's involved, with them, it's got my time. <laughs> and the drummer in that supergroup was uh, Kelly Kigi from Night Ranger. So like, so that's you know no slouches at all there. These are all people nope. who all of them have sold. <laughs> Well, not Doug Pinnock, I guess, but uh, the Night Ranger guy and and Red Beach have sold millions of albums. I don't. It's too bad. Kings X should have sold millions of albums. They should have. <laughs> they absolutely should have. Great freaking band. They have a they have a run of albums that's as good as, if not better than hell. Even a lot of the bands we're going to probably talk about on here, you know. Yeah, I mean, for but sure. so um, it goes. Yeah, and Red Beach went to the Berkeley School of Music, so he's definitely. He definitely trained, um, and he played with the the pop rock singer Fiona, who uh, I vaguely remember a couple of her hits from long ago. Um, but he dated her, and she was married to Bo Hill for a while, which is where we start to get into some of the incestuous stuff. Where you know, Bo Hill was the guy that introduced Reb Beach to Kip Winger, and Reb Beach had dated his wife <laughs> at some point, and on and on. Um. And he, he worked with uh, Sega and composed the soundtrack to a driving game. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. He also has a signature guitar, an Ibanez. There's a Red Beach signature Ibanez guitar. And uh, he's and he's done just a metric shit ton of studio work. And he's, he's recorded with Howard Jones and Shaka Khan and the Bee Gees. So that's that's pretty stinking and he was one of the uh, thousands of people who played on Love is for Suckers, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't that the album that the, the Twisted Sister album? that's like, oh, OK, there's I guess there's only one. For some reason, I thought there was a whole bunch of additional musicians on that album. I don't know why I thought that. I'm 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 oh, I'm just behind. That's OK. That's all. <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> of information. So, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I totally didn't realize that uh, Winger had a song on the Karate Kid Part Three soundtrack, but wow, they I do. I didn't realize that either. Wow. <laughs> and there was a he, he played on a whole bunch of these like uh, tribute albums that in the late '90s and early 2000s, the world of the tribute album like blew the hell up. It did. I remember hearing some of those. There was, I mean, you name a band, and there was a tribute album to them, basically. Oh, wildly varying qualities. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, most of them made made you just want to go back and listen to the original stuff, but um, yeah, there was some good some good stuff. Everybody just tried to recreate it pretty faithfully, is what my memory of it was, which was not very fun. I, you know, if you're going to do it, make it make it your own a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, and ca- moving on with our our band members, Paul Taylor is the keyboard player. 
Um, and I thought this was interesting. He was in a band with Eric Singer of Mr. Big. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. And he he looks even more like a, a, a sessiony guy, even more so than any of the rest of them, almost. Because I mean, yeah. he has a handful of album releases that he's, <coughs> he's like, you know, him being like a member of a band or whatever. But it looks like a lot of a a lot of session guy, you know, touring yeah. musician. Yeah, he toured with Aldo Nova and uh, recorded and toured with Steve Perry from Journey. And he's in the Aldo Nova video. Yeah, he's in the Aldo Nova video. Yeah, I thought that was cool. He uh, toured briefly with Tommy Shaw, and he was on a Brian Ferry album. Oh, that's cool. The the album Frantic, which is the one that has a lot of Bob Dylan covers on it, um, or one oh, of them. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, but he like toured for uh, uh, with Steve Perry. Yeah, and he toured with Cinderella too. Which I thought was interesting. Oh, what a trip! Yeah, we're hoping. Well, yeah, because they didn't. Cinderella didn't have like a, a native keyboardist in the band, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah, Cinderella Martin. and uh, um, Mr. Big are both bands that we're planning to get to on the podcast. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it looks like he mostly now composes for TV shows and kind of like you know he he goes out with Winger every now and then and stuff like that. But he's mostly just recording for TV shows, which is like you know good work, good job for him. Uh, yeah. And, uh, which, and then rounding out this, uh, I mean, this is kind of a super group of, of people that like, you know, not everybody knows and aren't household names, but, uh, um, Rod Morgenstein, um, is the drummer for winger and he we played with the drag played with the Dixie drags, which, uh, I just got to see them last year at Hoyt Sherman here in Des Moines. And, uh, and it was an amazing show. I mean, if you're, yeah, if you have any love of music at all, like just seeing these incredible musicians play together is, is the Dixie Dregs are well worth checking out. Um, but yeah, and oh yeah, yeah, Steve Morris and the Dixie Dregs, and uh, and he also uh, played with uh, Jordan Rudess, which is another one of those little loopbacks to uh, you know everybody knows the same people and introduces each other and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he also, if played- you can find it, it's on YouTube. It's really cool. There's a performance of uh, Rudess and Morgenstein doing uh, Tarkus. Oh man, yeah, the Emerson Lake and Palmer tune. Yeah, um, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um oh and he also played he was the drummer for that Fiona chick that um Reb Beach dated and played with and toured with and all that stuff. So um So and, many of these people end up playing on the same records or hanging yeah. around the same people. It's kinda <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. And he was in a, a super group also called Platypus with Ty Tabor from King's X. Oh man! <laughs> so <laughs> somehow King's X is starting to come up in 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 all of this stuff, which is which is pretty amazing. It Everybody was, shares the same phone book, I think, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was uh, Ty Tabor and two of the guys from Dream Theater. So with Rod Morgenstein. So and he had a brief association with uh, Steve Morse. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, and and he's now like his solo records. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, Steve Morse's solo records, I recommend those pretty highly. He's got one called High Tension Wires, or I think it is. And uh, I used to have that one and uh, a couple others, but they're really, I mean, they're guitar player albums, but they're very melodic too. So, and he, he's, he gets out there, he's pretty eclectic. There's like little bits of country he throws in, but it's also like jazz fusion and on and on. But um, oh, far out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah Rod, Rod Morgenstein is currently a professor at the Berkeley School of Music. So. In no way is that surprising. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, what's your story with uh, with the Winger album? How did you come across it? 
this is actually one where when I was a kid, I remember hearing all the big singles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have the album when I was younger and I was, I, I was never like a huge fan, but I thought the songs were all right and all that stuff. And then, um, many years later I inherited a box of records from my uncle and uh, it was in there and it was, it looked like it was super beat up, but I uh, ran it through a spin clean and played it and it sounded just fine. And uh, so I decided to sit down and listen to the rest of the album. And I remember the thing is that when I was a kid being a big Metallica fan, you know, there was that whole, there's, there's Metallica winger stuff that's yeah not super important for the moment, but um, I remember an interview with uh, Kip Winger and he said something about how, you know, it's like, you know, we could play that Metallica stuff with a hand tied behind our back. Those guys couldn't play our songs. And I remember as a kid being like, oh, screw you, dude. That's so such crap, you know. And uh-huh. then, like, <laughs> I put this album on and listened to it. And I was like, oh, man, I think he's right. Yeah, I think <laughs> there is a right. lot of it all sounds like, you know, at the service, if you're not paying attention. Sure. It just sounds like, you know, regular old super, super accessible pop metal. But like it's yeah, there's a lot going on in those riffs and in 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 like the way the songs are structured and stuff. <laughs> yeah. They're heavily constructed songs for sure. And then, so yeah, and- I really came to appreciate them more after listening to the whole album, especially like, you know, headed for a heartbreak was always like, uh, one of the big songs when I was younger, I didn't pay much attention to. And I went back later and actually liked it a lot more knowing more about, you know, music structure and all that stuff. But anyway, that's getting ahead of myself. But yeah, but yeah so I kind of took a long road, but was still familiar with probably about half the record. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. How about you? Uh, this one for me, uh, is, uh, like most of the albums we've talked about, um, you know, I, I, I'm very old, so <laughs> I, I, I bought these albums when they first came out. Uh, Winger was a little bit different cause I think most of the ones I've described buying, I bought the tape because cassettes were the thing at the time. Uh, Winger, by that point, I had a CD player, and so I bought I bought the Winger album on, on CD um, after hearing the riff for 17, because I was just beginning to play guitar, and I was just like, that, that riff was just like, that was a monster riff. I, mm-hmm. I was like, I had never heard anybody play like that before, and I just thought, how is he doing that? That's so cool. Um, so I bought the CD based off of that, and then uh, and I don't think I was ready for it. Honestly, I, I listened to like the first three or four songs, you know, over and over again. And then I would end up like turning it, the album off as it got as it went further in, um, just because I don't think I was musically advanced enough to understand it yet. Um, I mean, it's not like it's not like jazz or anything like that, but like uh, it, it, there's a lot of subtlety in it. And uh, yeah, it is one that if you sit down and actually pay attention, it's like, oh, wow, that's there's some pretty heavy stuff going on in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was I was way more into just flashy guitar playing and stuff back then. So I wasn't really interested in song composition or any of that stuff at the time. So um, so I think I ended up like selling it at one point. But uh, um, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised to come back to it now. And, uh, you know, and, and I remember even just like 10 years ago, like hearing one of their songs on the radio and thinking like, this is way better than I remember it being. And um, so I think they really got kind of a bad rap, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, when you think about it too, they came along near the end of a movement too. So yeah. Yeah. And, and through no fault of their own other than just, you know, how time works and all that stuff. So, I mean, by the time they had their first record out, there wasn't a whole lot of time left for that sound, you know, as, as far as being like a popular entity. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think this album is one of is it's sort of a an epitome of what why we're doing the podcast actually. 
Because it's one of those that, I mean, you know, it was a big hit and everything, but like, uh, um, it's one of those that kind of got thrown on the scrap pile of like, oh, it's just hair metal, but it's actually like, it's a really good record and it's like, uh, with really good musicians on it doing really, really interesting things. So, um, so, so yeah, it's pretty much right in the wheelhouse of what we, uh, want right. to do here. So. Yeah. I'm happy to try to reclaim it. So, uh, let's, let's talk about the record itself. Let's it's, uh, it. uh, 40 minutes long, which surprised me. I remembered it in my head as being much longer, um, for some reason. Cause I remember it kind of sprawling a little bit. I did remember that, but it's a, it's a, it's yeah. You, when you sit there and look at it, no, there's not, it's not a, it's not a, uh, long album by any means. No, it's a tight 40 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. we start out with, uh, Madeline, which was the first single and, uh, and this one, the things that stood out about this song for me is there, there's those vocal harmonies. They're really odd, but they really make the song. They are. It, uh, and it's impressive that like, and that's everybody in the band doing those backing vocals too. Oh, wow. Really? I didn't know that. I, yeah. Everybody in the band was a backing vocalist. So, I mean, I don't know to what degree for all of them, but like. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. They're also talented. So. <laughs> yeah. So that probably helps. But yeah. yeah. Um, I was thinking because you know I, I was sitting there listening to it, getting ready for this, and, and was like, you know, just just l- like listening to the the guitars in the in the verse. I'm like, they're just really really active for like a song that's you know you know, uh, just like a big rock tune, you know, or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's like a lot of stuff going on when you start listening to what he's at, what what everybody's actually doing fret wise and yeah. and as i said my nose says jesus christ that solo <laughs> yeah yeah it, has, it does have a, has a great solo and then right before the song ends it modulates which is i like, noted that too which which is really but only for one like run through the chorus yeah exactly That's and like, then it goes back who modulates at the end <laughs> it's like, so weird that was i thought that was a really strange thing but i didn't think it was well chosen as like the lead off song of the album it's sequenced very it, I think it so too. Plays very well. Yeah, it shows off all of their strengths in one song. I think so. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and then we go into "Hungry," which was also a single. It was the last single. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, of the of the four released yeah. for the album. Yeah, and this one I thought um, maybe it's the recency factor. Thinking about like past podcasts, but I thought with, with a name like "Hungry," this should have been like a White Lion song. Well, yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> if I look back at my notes, there is a White Lion song called Hungry. Yeah, so yeah, it reminded me of that for some reason. Um, um, and it's 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 one of these songs that's like, it's not a ballad, but it's like slower moving, you know, and, and uh-huh. but it's like a really, really crunchy for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I did enjoy the little bridge with the synth, the synth string bridge. It's very, that's, that's pretty clever. I had a note about the strings too, how it's, this song, we're two songs into the album. It's their debut album and they hit us with strings. And, you know, and I always feel, I always have this feeling like, you know, in a rock band, you kind of have to earn strings a little bit. And so this, you know, so they're coming and they were just like, no, nah. they're like, nope, here they are. But now that, uh, uh, and, and I would normally be annoyed by that a little bit, but now that I know how damned accomplished Kip Winger is, <laughs> the fact like, that he arranged those strings, right? Yeah. All of a sudden that seems oh. to make, oh, like, okay, well, that's fine then. <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs> yeah. Another sort of eerie note on this one is uh, there was a video for this song, and in the tune, uh, uh, or in the video, it's about a guy who's depressed because his wife died in a car crash, 
which is wow. which is really strange because Kip Winger's wife did die in a car crash in 1996. Oh. So that's really str- well before he even met his wife to be they had this thing about being depressed about your wife dying in a car crash. So and I've never even seen that video. I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen the videos for the other three singles on the album but mm-hmm. not this one. Yeah. That that just struck me as being slightly eerie. No kidding. <laughs> Uh, and then we go into 17, which is, of course, I mean, this was the big single that caught my attention anyway. So, um, it was the first one I ever heard. Yeah. And it, and I already mentioned how I think it's a kick-ass riff and it has a, a really strange vocal melody for a pop song, I think. It's. It, and that tends to happen a lot with their stuff is, you know, when you listen to it, it's like all these melodies are so strange and, and. It's kind of, in some ways, it's weird that this stuff, uh, that, those, that those odd constructions and those odd harmonies got to be on like a major label record, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, my big note about the song was, I know what daddy says and I do not disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, the, the lyrics to 17 have definitely been uh, a source of controversy. But uh, um, Kip Winger says it was inspired by I Saw Her Standing There by the Beatles. Which, know? hey, that starts off with right. the same sentiment. So, hey, it does. Whatever. She was just 17. You know what I mean? And but, you know, but it's OK when the Beatles do it, but not when hair metal. Does yeah. It. Uh, but Kip Winger has had to publicly say that he didn't know he didn't know that sex was with a 17 year old was illegal when he wrote it. <laughs> he didn't know what the what the limitations were there. Um, and and he also said that uh, um, he he never he had to publicly say that he did not have sex with anyone uh, at the age of 17 after he turned 21. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was funny. <sighs> but and and that's too bad too because uh, yeah, also when you when it's coming out of the guitar solo, there's a cool, super groovy, like odd time signature section. Yeah, yeah. This is what uh, I had tagged. I'd like to play the guitar solo for this. Absolutely, one I, I was gonna say the same thing because mm-hmm. this one, this one's so cool. Here, let, let's it's cue it up. Smoking. I know it's just just ridiculous. It's... <laughs> yeah, as, as as a young guitar player, I was just blown away by hearing that, and I just you know I sat down and tried to learn that whole song. I couldn't even learn the riff, let alone any of the solo stuff. So I was just like, damn. <laughs> and I'll, I'll go ahead and guess that neither of us knew who this dude was before this band. So it's not like you know, right? You're just like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? Yeah, <laughs> it came out of nowhere. <laughs> So, yeah, great, great freaking tune, even if it's, like, you know, a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next we have Without the Night. Um, and this one I, I just wrote very ballad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the first time on the side that you get to a song where it's kind of like, yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's it's very well played and all that and brilliantly arranged, yeah. but it is sort of, it's just kind of a, no. Yeah, it's, it has a very lyrical guitar solo in it, which I which that's you, true, you know, which is good. But it reminded me of like like heart, 
you know, like the pop era of heart. Yeah, it does kind of have like that desire era heart like sound to it or whatever. Yeah. Or when Foreigner turned into a pop band. Yeah. Just that, just that really yeah. really slick production and all that stuff. So which it's is right in that vein. <laughs> yeah, which is impressive. I mean, that, that, that makes the record expensive to make and all that stuff and probably took <laughs> yes. probably took them a long time to do, but like not not always the most fun thing to listen to. Um and then right after that we have their cover of Purple Haze. Oh. Which uh which I wrote this was pretty unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. Now on the cool side, Dweezil Zappa's on it. Yeah, that's the one so that's redeeming neat, factor. But, but you can't really tell. <laughs> no. <laughs> I liked it that Dweezil was on it. I thought that was pretty cool. But like, uh, um, you, you can't. Really, it doesn't really sound like him playing. So, um, not really. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like him and Reb were like going for the same thing on their solo, or yeah. the same idea. But you can't. It's hard to tell who's. Oh well, yeah. yeah. I don't know. For Diesel, I don't think Purple Haze needs to be covered by anybody, honestly. Right. But yeah, it's been whatever. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, they've they've sold millions and millions and millions more albums than right. I have. So. Right. Yeah. Same. What am I gonna say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, after that, we've got State of Emergency, and uh, I I mean it's a fine tune. I didn't have any notes about it myself, though. I. I I do know I, I found somewhere they were saying that that was like one of the very first songs that uh, Kip Winger and Paul Taylor worked on together for the album. OK, OK. Um, and it's all right. It, it, it kind of fits in the same th- same category for me as Without the Night on the first side. It's just like, yeah, you know, it's, it feels like a song that's kind of like there. Maybe like it's early in their writing. and hadn't figured everything out. I don't know. I was just less yeah. into State of Emergency. But. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we have Time to Surrender. Um and and this is you know pretty solid rock song. This is one that I flagged for playing the solo on it though, because I thought it was a pretty ripping guitar solo. It, it was funny because when it first started though, my first thought was, "Wait a minute, I thought Hungry was on the first side." <laughs> yeah. But that being said, awesome tune. I ended up yeah. really you know liking it a lot. Yeah. And I just like how they have the really active and really crunchy riffs and things like that for these kind of like mid tempo. Right almost ballad songs you know it's kind of cool yeah they're trying to ride that line between like we're badasses but we're but with hearts of gold <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh let me play the solo from this one though because absolutely I Yep, and that's that was actually my last note on the song was that solo smokes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next we got Poison Angel, which is like a, that's a nice rocker. I, I thought uh, it was, I actually said it's probably the most rocking song yeah. on the album. Yeah, it has a nice little harmonized guitar solo in it. So, um, and I actually I personally could have seen this released as a single over hungry even, but that's yeah. just me personally. Yeah. And I, I also I agree with that. I, I, I thought, I thought it was a really good tune. Um, um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's odd. Cause yeah, everything about it sounds like something that at the time, like, you know, in 88, 89 would have fit right in a radio mix, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that was my thought on that one anyway. <laughs> yeah. I bet that was one that they had a lot of fun playing live. I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, next we have hanging on, 
um, which has a really cool intro to it. I, I think yeah, I, I that was my first note is that intro is freaking awesome. It kind of made me think of like some of the stuff that Vi and Sheehan d- would do on Eat Me and uh, uh, Eat Him and Smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. I think like at the second half of this album, Red Beach is playing it ends up being a lot more like a Steve Vai kind of thing. He starts doing mm-hmm. more more whammy bar stuff and things like that, and those dive bombs that Steve Vai is famous for. Um, and I also really like in this song uh, when it comes out of the solo that bass tone is freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was so tough. I was just like, yeah, I like that a lot. Cause I mean, you know, for being a really great bass player and everything, you don't hear like a lot of the bass doesn't stand out the same way it does on some other records just cause you know, eighties production didn't always favor the, let's make sure that we can hear the nuance of the bass playing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's no moments on this record where I think like, you know, oh, what a kick-ass bass player because he's just playing what fits and what needs to, he's not playing any more or any less than what he needs to be playing, which is, which makes him a great bass player, but yeah, uh, that's know. just smart. But, but during this era, you're right. He's not, he's not pulling out any Billy Sheehan kinds of things or any of that nope. stuff. Yeah. Um, and then that brings us to the last tune on the album headed for a heartbreak. Um, which was another single. We talked a little bit about this one earlier before. This one's more of a keyboard-driven tune than any of the others on the album, I would say. It is. And, you know, for a ballad, it's really like, for like what was supposed to be like their big ballad tune, it's like really kind of a complex tune, you know? And It is. Yeah, like the chord progression seems strange, um, but it also is so melodic that you don't notice. And, uh, And this one has... I mean, just incredible guitar playing on it. Oh um, man, he um, really got to just rip it, rip it up on this track, and it's it's awesome because I mean, like the song like ends with just yeah, it just going nuts on the guitar. Yeah, it just the the album fades out with Reb just wailing away and jamming and just shredding. Um, but I did. This is another one I had to let's let's play the guitar solo to this one, the middle one. There's a oh my god, yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, the middle guitar solo, which is pretty mind blowing, and then he jams on out on the fade out. But here's here's the one in the middle. Dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty soulful. Yeah, for, that's just satisfying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for 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 having a shredder moment in there, like uh, that, that's it's a pretty. I don't know. It's uh, very moody and stuff like that. He manages to be like very. I, I don't know. And honestly, I just really like. I also really like the way the the music moves underneath the solo. It's just yeah, boy. yeah. That little. I don't tend to like thing. a lot of ballads, but boy, these guys they nailed it this on this one. Yeah, they did. <laughs> So you know, all in all, it's a, it's a, it's pretty solid, man. I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of weak spot on this record, and if you have it on CD, you get an extra track, which I've never heard in my life because I've never had a CD copy, <laughs> and I haven't had one forever. Um, I ended up getting a download of uh of this record for the before the podcast, and it doesn't have the extra song on it. Um, so, uh, and it's not on Spotify either. So I, I, I think they might've, uh, just pulled that back or something. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder, I have a couple, uh, I have a couple winger seven inch singles and I 
don't know which two they are, but they're both ones off this album. And I think one of them might be the Madeline single, but I'll have to, I'll have to go look. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Sweet. You probably have it in your collection already then. Yeah. 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 It's a, my seven inch records are not organized in any meaningful yeah. way, so it requires digging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Yeah, the same. They're just in a stack. <laughs> eh, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Uh any other any other winger notes? Um I don't really have anything else. Uh other than, you know, hey, seek out a copy of it. You can probably scoop yeah. a CD of it off of Amazon for like nothing. So get it. Just yeah. grab one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think if you have any kind of appreciation for musicianship at all, like uh, um, it's uh, and it's not all just shreddy stuff. It's uh, I mean, Red Beach can no, certainly it's do tasteful. that, but it's yeah. very tasteful. So it's 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 more of a tasteful album than most hair metal albums, I would say. Yes, yeah. yes, I would agree with that. Which is a weird thing to say about Winger. So, but like, uh, but it, there it is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you guys for listening again. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, again, if you want to reach out to us, hairmetalmemoriesiowa at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be we'll be getting back again. We'll probably have, we'll probably have a couple more podcasts in this vein with the call in factor while we're while we're dealing with stuff out in the world. Um, but hopefully you enjoyed something you heard today, and uh, we'll try to get back to normal and start having guests and things again, uh, and and continue on. Um, I do miss the guests, but yeah. you know, well, yep. Here we are in this position, yeah. so we were making the best of what we can do here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose if I if I was more tech savvy when it came to phones, I could probably figure out how to do like a conference call or something on my phone, and then we could have two calling people on one phone or something. But um, we're not. I don't know. Step by step. Maybe next time we'll try that. But, yeah, we're yeah. just trying to, for now. Just trying to give yeah. you something to listen to while you're stuck inside. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Hey, everybody.